having started that way, let me just ask the Lord to cover me, if you'd agree with me. Father, we know you're always speaking, and uh, we don't always hear you well, but you're always speaking. And tonight we ask you to help us hear. And Lord, as your servant, I'm standing in the very spot that you wanted me to be in before the foundation of the world. You saw me here to say these things. And um, so, Lord God, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm as faithful as I know how to be, at least by standing here. And now I pray that your spirit would bring through your vessel something that would be useful and helpful and encouraging and would build up your church, which is your people. And so, Spirit of the Lord, I just want to yield to you and ask you just to bring the word and then help us all to have ears to hear the words that you're speaking to your church and help us to, to, to obey, help us to, to do things that are God things. And so we trust you to do that tonight. And Jesus, we just love you. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. I want to try to say tonight something that I feel in my heart. I don't really have great words for it or wonderful explanations because I really don't know. But what I believe is that the church is going to go is going through a phase change. Now, being a student of history, I have seen phase changes in the body of Christ, and they're not pretty. They're never pretty. And they're difficult because, as humans, we don't know what the phase change is exactly. We have to faithfully follow the one who would lead us through it. And we don't get to know all the stuff that we as humans like to know. Like, what about this? And what about that? And where, where's that going? What, what do we do here? And he doesn't answer those things. He just says, get in. And buckle up. And get close. And be faithful. Because this is not a carnival ride. It's real life in the midst of a broken world with a real enemy who gets to do some things. And it's not a nice little bow tie that we like to have everything, you know, all stories have to end well with a nice little ending that's just perfect. It just doesn't, that's just not reality a lot of times. Sometimes we don't get to see that part of it. Maybe a generation past us gets to see it, but maybe it doesn't turn out that way in the way we'd like. That's just part of being a student of history. But I believe that the body of Christ is about to go through a phase change or is going through, through that. And, and again, you might say, what do you mean, Paul? And I'd say, I don't know. I don't know what I mean. Because it's something none of us have ever seen before. It's something that we've never lived through before. All we have is our past, right? The things we understand. We know how it goes. We know what church looks like. We know what we do. We know what we're comfortable with. We like things to be predictable. Right? But it's called the faith for a reason. God could have called it the understanding. Then we'd all be happy, right? Hey, follow me. It's the understanding. You get to know exactly what's going to happen. No, he called it the faith. 
And that's a real issue right there. So I wanted to try to give a picture of some things because we do, we are in a position of history that is, it's just so critical. There's a, uh, a process in psychology that, that they call the Dickens process. And they call it the Dickens process because it's a tool that's used to try to help somebody wake up for a course change, to change their course. And it's actually pretty practical uh, because we have the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is what separates us from all other created things. We have the ability to step outside of ourselves and kind of track our progress. We have the ability to take a look at, okay, if I eat this amount of food this many days in a row, I'm going to look like this, right? We have the ability to do that. I don't mean to make light of that. It's just a practical thing that came to mind. We, we can do that. We have the capacity to look at a course of action and get an idea. This is going this way, and I'm going to end up here if I don't stop something. And that can be in every area of life. And so the Dickens process is a tool that's utilized to, to help people wake up to what they're doing so they, th they can get the help they need to stop. I mean, change course. That's another thing the prefrontal cortex does that animals can't do. They don't get to do that. They're just caught in this, they do things that are instinctual, and they do them. We're not animals. We get to change. We have a capacity that's, a, that's choice. We're created in the image. We can change. So there's big responsibility with that. So the Dickens process, you know, it's called that because um, Charles Dickens wrote the Christmas story, you know, that's Ebenezer Scrooge, and so we've all seen that movie, you know, or read that uh, book, and we understand the power of it because Ebenezer got to be taken to some places, and he got to see where he was going. He got to see where he came from. He got to see where he was going, and it worked for him in the movie. He woke up and said, I don't want to go there. And in that moment, when he comes back to reality, he was a changed man. And his changed thoughts uh, turned into changed actions immediately, changed attitude, changed everything. It's a powerful thing. What an incredible gift to wake up to the path you're on so that you might change today. All of us, if we've been born again, experienced that, right? There came a point where you saw clearly, I am on the way to a place I do not want to go. And you made a decision that changed that. Isn't that powerful? It, I mean, it's awesome, but salvation, is, it's only the beginning of that process because we're always on our way somewhere. We've got to have wisdom to know where it is we're going. Noah experienced this. God told Noah what was to come before it happened. Way before it happened. And then he told him how to prepare. And so one day at a time, Noah had to live a lifestyle of preparation for that thing that he saw coming. For 120 years, he lived a disciplined life of preparation. 
Now that's probably longer than, than any of us are going to live in our entire life that Noah lived with the, the discipline of what a clear future can bring. Wisdom tells us that where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That's Proverbs 29, 18. Noah was able to succeed in his day because he took responsibility for his own life and his personal role that he was given in God's grand story. He saw his place and he did his part. Noah lived in a day, lived day in and day out rather, in preparation mode because he had a vision for his future that enabled him to be disciplined every day, preparing. Noah was preparing by building an ark. Now we know he built and believe he built a literal ark. Metaphorically for us, it's an ark of the Lord's presence. It's just as real for us in terms of the presence of the Lord as it was for him in terms of a, of a boat. That the metaphor Again, it's about salvation. It's about who you're in. That ark represented Jesus. All the typologies there. It's a fascinating study. We've, we've been over that in the past. It's always good to go over those things. Noah was preparing by building an ark of God's presence that would save him and his family from the phase change that the world went through in his day. Now, again, I'm talking about this phase change he was found faithful preparing he rose above the waters of judgment because he prepared now i don't want to make noah sound better than he is we know 120 years is a long time and we know that men and women of the old testament were not perfect people at all the Bible doesn't give us insight into Noah's days that he fell off the preparation wagon. Y'all ever done that? Ever fallen off the preparation wagon? Lost hope? Just said, I'll oh, forget it. This is just get cynical. Just lose your compass. I'm not trying to make Noah sound bad, but chances are he had those days, right? We know Abraham did. He's the father of the faith. We know David did. I mean, look at who David is to us. I mean, we know it happens. The Bible doesn't say that he did, though. It says that he did a pretty good job, was faithful. But that's what the Spirit of the Lord says about Abraham, too. He's faithful in all things. But we know the story. God, which one is it? He has the final say. We don't. Yep, the grace of God. The point is that he just never quit. You know, whether he did it perfectly or not really is not the point. Um, the Bible does say that he was perfect in his generation, but if you study out that word, it's it's not what we think of as perfect. Um. It actually gets kind of crazy if you study out that word that was more uh, leaning into the Lord was saying he was purely human. 
He was perfect in that way. And obviously he knew right from wrong according to what God had said, but it wasn't like he was this flawless person that, that did things. It gets kind of deep because there's a big rabbit trail there. Many scholars, and I'm one of them, believe that the enemy had, and fallen angels had done some hanky-panky with humanity and had tried to mess up the gene pool so that there couldn't be a salvation come through at some point through a human vessel. That opens up a large can of worms. Uh, the only reason I bring it out is because the passage of Scripture I'm about to read, it refers to as in the days of Noah were, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There's a times correlation that God puts in there. So what that kind of opens up the door is uh, for is take a look at what happened in Noah's day because that, that, those things are going to come back again. Now, I go a bunch of different directions and probably means a whole lot of things, not just one thing, but uh, I personally believe that if you limit what you think the enemy can do, then that's an area that he can expose. And uh, I just think there's some crazy things that went on in that day. And I don't want to talk about that tonight because that's off topic, but I do want to read this, Matthew 24, and I'm going to read 37 through 51. This is Jesus' end time scripture. There's a couple chapters here where the disciples ask him some pointed questions, and he gives them the skinny on the end times. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty heavy chapter, and I just want to read this section of it. Matthew 24 37 says this, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, Andy was talking about that this morning, watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now again, I'd like to, I'm not finished reading that, but I'd like to say watch therefore, meaning we don't know. That is, that is opportunity for humility. Lots of it. An enormous helping of it. Watch therefore. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in which, in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunk, drunken, the Lord of the servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, 
and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, Jesus just brings some stuff that I don't like to hear sometimes, but if you really read the Bibles, there's some stuff in there that's just shocking. It doesn't sound nice at all, but it's in red. That means take a look at this. So preparing a house for the Lord to dwell in, I believe is where this is really going. Preparing a house for God to dwell in. 1 Corinthians 3. Turn here. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 23. I'm going to read that. These are kind of long sections of Scripture, but I think these are worth, worth reading. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 23, it says this, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, he shall, shall, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let mo no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise and their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And then Paul begins to go into this thing. He's talking to what he, he ends up terming, terming carnal Christians, and what he's, what he's talking about, the practical talk, talking point has to do with, you like this guy over that guy. That's what it's about. And he says, you're carnal. You don't get it. If you were bought and you are in this deal, you are the Lord's. Nothing else matters. If you'll let the one who bought you fill you, you don't have to worry about anything else. But it's all about the filling. It's all about being filled by the Lord. And he's trying to bring them back to the purity of what this is all about. Verse 17 is not a joke. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. I'll tell you another one that's not a joke. 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And nobody is going to sidestep that. Now, we're not talking about God's judgment. We're not getting to some of the things that, that happen afterwards necessarily. We're talking about what you're, what you're building toward, what, what you're aimed at, what you're thinking about, what you feel like you've got to see and have and do and be in this lifetime. That if you're, if you're off track there, you're going to suffer loss. And he goes on to say this isn't a, a heaven or hell issue. He says, you're, you know, some of you are going to be saved. You're just, just you by the skin of your teeth. But you spent your whole life building for something you don't get anything for. I mean, why do that? Why, why do that? Let's, let's build something that's for the kingdom, that's for eternity. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is what Proverbs says. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now we can use all kinds of metaphors for what a phase change is. The phase change that I believe we are already entered into and what's going to intensify. You can call it a flood. You can call it a storm. You can call it a shaking. You can call it a fire. It's all metaphors trying to get our attention to the fact that this is not going to go as you have experienced so far in life. It's a phase change. Some things are going to go. Some things are going to be changed. God didn't ask our opinion. He knows what he's doing. He's going to do it. What that says for us is vulnerability, our favorite word. Vulnerability. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take people crying out like never before on a deeper level. Whatever you want to call this phase change, what it's going to do is it will prove what's going on in here, in your life, in my life, in our lives. It's going to prove it. It's going to show it. It's going to reveal it. There's no hiding. I don't care how wise you sound. The bottom line is God is not mocked. Now this scares me. I'm, I'm not up here trying to say, you guys better get right like I am. No, I'm terrified by the things that I see in Scripture and what I know about me. It is scary. And if you're not scared, you probably are not saved. If I can just be blunt. This is, this is no joke. The process will burn up all flesh and all things that are not eternal, no matter how pretty it looks at the moment. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through uh, 20 has some Similar things to say. Let me read that. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20. 
But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We've been paid for. What the Lord's been sharing with me as of late, as I've already been talking about it, that I am his prisoner. I have been bought. I do not have the right to demand anything from him. Now, this is news to me, and I'm just repenting of it currently in my life. God, please, don't let me be a fool. This is, this is, I'm yours, and I want to surrender all of it, all of it. Don't let me be a fool. Don't let me think I'm some favored son that gets to skip some things. You know, Joseph was the favored son, and, and, the, and his father treated him favored, but it didn't turn out that way for him, because he had a bigger father than that, and he learned a lesson or two. It was not fun. It was harsh, as harsh as we know life can be. Some of God's sons have walked it out. And they did it, thank God. God did it, I should say, in them and through him. And so the Lord's been sharing with me here recently, Paul, take the lowest door you can find, son. You take the lowest position you could possibly get. You get as low as you can possibly go. Paul, this is something that goes back in my life for years. Paul gets small. Because I had a dream years ago. That, that's, I won't share it, but in the dream, that's what, it, that's what God's message was to me. Paul, get small. You get as small, you get to the position of humility, the lowest place you could possibly find, you go there and serve me with all your heart, with no entitlement, with no favor that you think you ought to have, with no position, with no privilege, with no honor, you serve me. And I've been trying to work that out ever since then, and I'm just now stepping into some of the understanding of it, what that means. And then rejoicing that I'm in it at all. That I have seen any of this. It's the greatest gift we could possibly understand. To hear from God Almighty and to know his ways and to be with him for eternity. Tell me what to do, Lord. Anything, I'll do it. Now, that's what Isaiah said. Here I am. Send me. I'll go. If I could, I'm just so grateful that I'm in this thing. I, it blows me away that I have even this opportunity. What, what it means is to be humbled, fast, and pray. Awaken yourself. Prepare 
Get yourself on the altar for the fire to fall and consume you. That's the position that we're in, church. And we can play some kind of churchy Western game that's so so ridiculous it makes me want to throw up. We can play all that you want to. Go right ahead. God is on his throne. He does not play games. He says, get in line with me. Stop looking at people. Stop looking at men. Stop telling me what to do. I I know your opinion. It's not useful to me. I've got the way, the truth, the life. It comes out of me. Get in alignment. That's what he's saying to us, to the Western church. Be humbled. Humble yourself. Fasting for self-humbling. We like to rail on the liberals today with all of their issues that we see. Aren't they just so obvious? Don't they just make you so mad? We love to rail on them, but we are so proud. We are so proud of people. We are so self-righteous. I'm just giving you a warning, folks. I would not get yourself in a position like the disciples did. Yeah, call fire down on them, Jesus. Call fire down on them. You know what Jesus said? You don't even know what spirit you're of. You are clueless if that's your heart to people who are going to bust hell wide open. You have no clue. And again, I don't want to be harsh, but this is serious. And we've got to wake up to our position today. We're prideful. I'm prideful. I've seen it. It makes me sick. We think we have rights. We feel very entitled to our say, to put in our two cents, to have our feelings made known and there is a place for that i don't want to silence people or shut anybody up no no i I don't i don't mean to be harsh in that way we do need to hear one another we do need to understand where we're coming from we do i don't ever want to i've been through that to where you're like just bullied into silence that's not what i'm trying to say or do at all we've got to love on each other We've got to be sensitive and, 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 and loving and forgiving and work with each other. But we've got to get the pride out, guys. We've got to get the entitlement out. We're, just, we're Americans. We're just as American as any liberal. We want it our way right now, today, don't we? We, we have issues. We've got to be broken of those things because that is not the way of Christ. Fasting for self-humbling. It's just, just a, this is what the Bible teaches. We're just we're struggling with surrender. I'm struggling with surrender. Don't let me put this on you if you're not there, but I'm there. Struggling with the surrender that this is really about. Struggling with it. 
We've got to get God's perspective. We've got to humble ourselves like Christ. Find that. Fasting for self-humbling. I'm going to talk about this on Wednesday night a little bit more, but we need this desperately. Primarily, the purpose of fasting is self-humbling. It is a scriptural means ordained by God for us to humble ourselves before him. Throughout the Bible, God requires his people to humble themselves before him. Many different passages of scripture emphasize this. Here's four I'm going to give you from the New Testament. Matthew 18, 4 says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 23, 12 says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. One important feature of all these scriptures is that the responsibility to humble ourselves is placed upon us. It's our job. We cannot transfer that responsibility to God. To pray, God, make me humble, is unscriptural because the reply of God is always, humble yourself. Take responsibility for your life. Do the things that I've prescribed that'll get you there. In Psalm 35, 13, King David says, I humbled my soul with fasting. We've gotten so far away from Christ-like humility, which is impossible and miraculous, by the way. It's impossible. It is miraculous. It's part of the new birth. We cannot do it. It can't be done. We can humble ourselves and get in position for it to possess us and to influence us, but it's not something that we can do. There is a relationship between us and the Lord. The topic of fasting from food and, and water in order to hear God's voice to, to gain his heart are, uh, in our day, they're just like jokes. We just joke about it. Now, let me stop there and say this. I'm not trying to get any kind of shame of any kind going up, gone, because fasting is a very serious and potentially dangerous thing to do, especially when in our day and age where, honestly, we're just in that bad a shape. We're not accustomed to these types of things. We don't live in a day where you can literally go without some food because you just don't have any in the kitchen, right? In, in Bible times, that, that was something that, I mean, this was a, a reality. Like, they, 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 were, they had an inner strength about them when it came to these types of things. Because they literally had to practice it from time to time. It was just, and it was also built into their tradition. It's what they did. You know, they had, they had fasting days that were built into the calendar for, for uh, Jews and, and, you know, many other people. And some of you guys are old enough to remember times where you just didn't have, right? It just wasn't there. And so you had an inner constitution that, that, you could take some of these things very seriously and jump right in with both feet. Today, we are so fragile. We're so overfed. And just so, I mean, let's just be honest. We're so comforted in every possible way. We're just, 
we got to be careful. I'm, I'm not suggesting anybody jump in with both feet and a full boat fast. I think you need to have some wisdom. You need, to, you need to know what you're doing. You need to get somebody to help you with that. But I am, I, listen guys, all I'm doing is telling you the things that the Lord seems to be shouting at me. This is a serious day. The Bible, listen, he wrote this thing and it's not changed. There is not a 20, 2020 version in which you or I get to water down any of it. We don't get to change the standards. It's just not there. We bend to it. Now we know in our day we love to be bending things, and we have, and we're getting what you get when you bend. This thing hasn't changed. I'm just telling you what it says. It's up to you what you'd like to do with it. But I am saying gently and lovingly that there is a doorway into the pleasure of God that we have simply not taken. There is a doorway that history shows, it reveals. Many, many men and women have, have done this and have changed the world. I know it's not a popular message. You know why? Because you have to humble yourself to do it. And people don't like to be humbled. Nobody does. But if you'll do it yourself, there is vast reward. Now, God can humble you. And he will. If he has to. That's not his, that's not his desire at all. He tells us plainly, over and over, if you read the New Testament, over and over, humble yourself. Judge yourself. Here's the word. Now do it. God's calling us to another level. I'm just telling you that if you want to be useful in the phase change, these are the ground rules. Again, I didn't come up with them. I can just read. And I do have the Spirit of the Lord, which gives me the ability to interpret things. I think correctly. I'm not trying to put myself up there as the man or anything, but I, I think I'm being pretty honest in my assessment of the things that I'm reading. You guys can decide for that yourself. But if we could really see where this is all going, our nation, if we could, if we could have that, that, that Ebenezer Scrooge experience and we could travel into the future and experience a day in the life of a westerner American Christian Jesus has not returned but this nation is apostate let's just play with that just for a moment because it can be very very helpful to wake us up would you pay a price to change it would you do anything I guarantee you would. If you could see it, if you could feel it. I had an experience one time. The Lord did this for me, literally. It was early on in my marriage. I was a youth pastor in middle Tennessee, and I had some issues in my life. I mean, they were some pretty serious issues. I'm not going to tell you what they were, but they were serious. And God gave me a vision of my future 
if they didn't change. And what I saw was so painful because it involved me in a life without my wife and without my child. And it was more pain than I could possibly imagine. And it's amazing what you'll do when you see where you're going and what you could lose. It's amazing. But it is a gift from God to see it beforehand. And I got into some repentance, man. I, I did some things that I had needed to do a long time and just hadn't, didn't have the courage to do it. All of a sudden, I had a lot of courage. And I got, I got it done. Praise God for his foresight and his ability to help us. But if we could see where this nation is going without God's ecclesia shining its beautiful light, without God's salt preserving it, if we could see where we're going as we are, if we stay just like this, without the wisdom of God living in humble men and women in positions of influence, if you could see that nation, I guarantee you'd do anything right now. That's what we've got to get to. Without the character and the power of God in God's church, this nation is lost. There was a quote in my history book that I've been through history a few times now that I've taught it. And, you know, the early formers of this nation, the men, the framers of the Constitution, and then the framers of the government itself, the process they went through to get it. Oh, my goodness, if you could read about that process and understand it. And one of the things that they talked about were these men were like titans. They were, they were their, their character and their wisdom was just off the charts. And they got together and they put together this government that, that we know today. And they, 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 they were able to get in a room in a heated discussion. They had massive differences of opinions about all things considered. And they came up with what's called the Great Compromise. And they built it. They made it. They, they made a way. They found the wisdom to frame it up and to make it work to where everybody said, yeah, that's going to work. I can, I, can, I can live with that. The Great Compromise. And then you can move forward into the 1850s, pre-Civil War time, and there was, a, there was a phrase that I wrote that just sent chills down my mind, or down, down my, my back, because it said that the men in leadership of the day were not the men who had the wisdom of the Great Compromise. And it threw our nation into the bloodiest war and none of them saw it coming. Both sides thought it'd be over in a month, and they would have won. Just the lack of wisdom, the lack of foresight, the lack of thinking, the pride. It's where we are, guys. You don't want to go where this is headed. If we could just see it. You know, I think of William Wallace, if y'all ever seen the 
movie Braveheart. I'm not suggesting you go see it, but the heart of that movie is Christ-like. There are things in it I don't promote. Again, I'm not telling you to watch it, but I, I watched it. And the Holy Spirit was there when I watched it too. Because he showed me some things. Things that changed my life. William Wallace gives a speech before the Battle of Stirling when the Scottish army who just had, you know, sticks and stuff were facing the England's army across the field and they had all the horses, they had all the stuff, they had all the archers, they had all the, they were intimidated and they, as soon as they saw that, some of them just started getting up and taking off and here comes William Wallace riding in with his men, he's all painted up and he gives a speech riding back and forth in front of the men. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here, I just want you to hear these words because this says what it is I'm trying to say. He says to these men, he says, run and you'll live at least a while and dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom. What is he saying? He's saying that, yeah, you can run you cannot take your stand here with us today, but you will regret it every day afterwards. And regret weighs tons. Discipline weighs ounces. Regret weighs tons. You don't get it back. Folks, that's where we stand today. I, I mean, I'm being dead serious. So here's the thing I want to point out. I've heard it said, you know, this cartoon that brought this quote out, but it's just so true. He says, we have found the enemy, and he is us. I'm telling you, you don't have to look any further. You just got to get right with God yourself. I've got to get right with God myself. I've got to humble myself. I've got to find the way, and I'm finishing up here. I know this has been long tonight, but I believe it's important. Each one of us has the responsibility to take our soul to the cross as Jesus did, as Paul did. These are our examples. Humble yourself like never before. Give the Lord what he paid for. What humbling yourself means is that you don't know. You don't know. Stop acting like you know. Stop promoting what you know. Stop telling everybody else what you know. Because you probably don't. Humble yourself. If we'll all do that, the voice of the Lord will be so strong, it will unify us. And we'll know the way. And we'll be following him and not some person. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ needs today in the West. To let the king have his church. Let me read you Luke 17. This is another one of those passages I like to not read. Luke 17, 6 through 10 says this. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. 
But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he's come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I've eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now there's some truth to that, folks. That's the bottom line. Man, to step in the way of God and his bride. God forbid we, we do that. That is scary. We all have lost this level of love and gratitude and service and humility to our king. We are far too American. Entitlement has crept in and taken over. I'm not sure we know what it is to pay a price. I mean, you know, a real price. I know some of you have paid a price in this life. I don't... I don't, I don't mean to lay all of my own issues on you, but I've just had an easy way of it. So maybe I ought to just speak for myself. I'm not sure I know how to pay a price. I'd like to be that type of person, though. I really would. I'd like to be that man. God is ultimate pleasure. Let him fill his own house. We are entering a phase change. What that means is that we are looking at a new wineskin. It's not going to look like it looked before. I know that's a little disconcerting, but at least it'll be God's. And His Spirit will be on it. And we will be taken seriously once again. Prepare. Prepare. God's about to teach us a new song. He's about to do a new thing. Humble yourself and listen for instructions. The emphasis today needs to be reasserted once again that Jesus died to fill a human temple with himself. I am his temple. I am his church house. I am to live a 24-7 church experience. But the house must be swept and garnished to be filled. I pray to the God who paid the price for me that I would lay it, at, lay it before him and let him sweep and garnish and fill me and my brothers and sisters. That's what the call is tonight. To take him seriously and to humble yourself. Alicia, if you want to bring your team up this is a time of invitation I just pray you guys will take this word seriously I'm nobody but this word is something and it's a serious word so the, the invitation tonight is that you would seriously search your heart and ask the Lord to give you a level of humility that maybe you've never entered into before